your work life, your relationships, your money, your health, the meaning of life. Welcome to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. Relationships. They can be some of life's most enlivening, enriching, elevating experiences, and they can be a disaster. Few things are more stressful than the long, protracted divorces that uh, too often take place. And indeed, half of all couples that marry divorce, and many of those who stay together kind of schlep along, ostensibly for the kids, although it's hard for me to imagine that uh, being in a two-parent family with the couples fighting or even being cold with each other is better than being a single parent who is more content. Well, on this edition of How to Do Life, we're going to talk about best practices for meeting someone, including online, um, evaluating them in the short term, evaluating them in the long term, should you marry, and the solo option. Some people are simply happier being alone on a long-term basis and having, you know, little short relationships along the way. In any event, let's talk about meeting. Of course, today there have been recent studies that show that the most popular way, most successful way that many people, not all, meet uh, for a relationship uh, short and long term is online. And logically, and that would make sense. Sure, there's the disadvantages, you know, yes, people put pictures of themselves that are grainy or old, and their, their descriptions of themselves make them seem like Jesus incarnate. Um, but all things being equal, because of the massive numbers of people online. There are 25 million on Match.com alone, and in your local area, if you're near a metropolitan area, thousands and thousands. If you are reasonably honest in what you describe, you describe yourself and realistic and uh, and honest about, and clear about what's really your non-negotiables in what you're looking for, um, and then you cut your losses because there's a lot of fish in the Match.com Sea or even the Tinder Sea or the OkCupid Sea or the Coffee Meets Bagel Sea or the eHarmony Sea or it's Our Time Sea or whatever your, you know, uh, Christian Mingle Sea um, or J-Date for Jewish people. I don't know what the one for Muslims is um, or Hindus. Uh, you've got a pretty darn good chance of meeting Mr. or Ms. Wright. Although these days, even calling somebody Mr. or Ms. is uh, subject to scrutiny because we are ostensibly gender fluid, uh, not only you know one time, but it could change over our lifetime. So I'll stay with Mr. or Ms., but fully acknowledging that, especially here in the Bay Area, which is uh, where the show originates, uh, gender fluidity is considered the norm and... Uh, Gender binary is somehow, not somehow, is seen as uh, sexist in some way or whatever, sexual orientation-ish. Uh, so, the, I use the word already in describing the profiles as honest and accurate. So many people in their desperation to meet someone and in our marketing-centric era tend to overhype themselves and maybe are a little lazy in taking doing the work to describe your real essence, what your real things that the other person is going to have to accept in you. Sure, it's easy to talk about the good things, but also some of the bad things are, it's really important that you include that in your profile. 
for example, I, I'm very happily married. I love my wife, Barbara Nemco. We've been together 46 years. But if I were single, I would certainly go online. And I would describe not only my good characteristics, which I'll spare you lest you think I'm bragging, but I'll also, I would include in describing myself some of the things that are bad that my partner would have to accept. I don't like the term workaholic because it implies it's a disease like alcoholic. Um, but I do work long hours. I do work 60, 70, yeah, 60 to 70 hours a week. And I would not want a uh, romantic partner, a girlfriend, a wife, who um, expected me to work, you know, part-time or barely 40 hours and then play. That's just not me. My work is very important to me. Maybe I'm deluding myself, but I like to think that it's a value. And I always choose to, to work a lot. So I would say that in, in my profile. Um, I would also say something like, um, uh, I'm not always politically correct. Yes, some of my views are, but I have been known to be politically incorrect. So if you are down the line, politically correct, you may find me too annoying. Those I wouldn't go into any more, you know, into great length. I don't want to self-flagellate. But I think pointing out one or two core weaknesses about yourself that the other person, if you're going to have a good relationship, would have to accept is a great idea. It also, by doing that, the credibility of everything else you write about yourself is going to be far greater because they see you're willing to admit weaknesses. That's true, also, by the way, also of my job seekers when they're writing a job application or in interviews. Sure, you want to emphasize the positive, but acknowledging one or two true core weaknesses that the employer would have to accept in order to... Uh, in, in hiring you can make sure you get rejected from the wrong jobs and accepted from the right ones. And it's the same true here in relationships. You, the game is not who, how many responses you can get on Match.com or whatever, but it's going to be, can you get the right ones, the persons who are more likely to cherish you for your strengths and accept you for your, let's call them weaknesses. Similar in writing what you're looking for in your partner. Think about what's really the non-negotiables. Is it really, you know, a sexy body? Some people are just interested in, not just interested, really can't see going out with somebody who isn't a size two. For other people, there's much more flexibility. What's negotiable, what's crucial for them is kindness and or intelligence and or being self-supporting and or somebody who's got a very active sex drive or somebody who's not, conversely, who's not that into sex or who's a real outdoorsy people person. But sometimes, just because you're outdoorsy doesn't mean the other person needs to be. One person, your romantic partner, is not going to be the answer to all of your needs. Think about what the non-negotiables are and put that in your profile. Now, I recommend, rather than waiting for somebody to pick you out, because there's so many factors that could make them pick you out irrelevantly, I'd rather see you reach, you know, spend some time, if you're really interested in a relationship, spend some time searching through profiles to find the really great ones, the ones that seem right. And then don't write a one-liner. Don't talk about sex right away. That's really a turnoff, unless you're just looking to get laid. Talk, you know, give them a, you know, a, a 50, 100 words that goes beyond what's in your profile and explain, for example, why you picked their profile out and asking a question or two that maybe you're curious about having looked at their profile. And the first screen of how viable that, per how good that person would be for you is how quickly they respond. 
If they wait three or four days, it either means they're not that into you or they're not that responsible. Those are not good attributes in a person, especially in the beginning. But if they respond within 24 hours and they make a reasonable response that your intuition tells you, you know, this is a person of substance who is kind, who meets your non-negotiables, don't necessarily spend a lot of time email back and forth because you will have gotten a lot of information from just that one little exchange. That's the time to offer to do the traditional, let's get together in a public place. Uh, like coffee is perfect because that way, sometimes you know after five minutes that it's just not right. And that way you, you can usually quite expeditiously make your exit. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is we do, you know, sometimes we just have a gut feeling either because of it, you know, in that meeting, in that first meeting, that it is, whether it's sexual attractiveness or how intelligent or not they sound, uh, whether uh, they're narcissistic and totally into themselves or they're yes about themselves, but also about you. You can often tell a lot in just a few minutes, sometimes even in just a minute. So I really urge you with, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many fish in the sea that if you get the sense, this is not my right, the right person, Rather than saying, you know, maybe I need to give it more time or, oh, I can, maybe I'll fix him or her. Oh my God, that's almost always difficult. Much better to be polite, respectful, give a brief, honest, but tactful reason why it isn't quite right. Say, you know, saying something like, gee, you know, you're not quite as intellectual as, you know, I kind of am looking for my romantic partner or whatever. And then put your hand out, say it was nice meeting you and get out of there. The more you can do that and cut your losses, when it doesn't, when you really in your heart of hearts, you know this is not Mr. or Ms. Right, that's really invaluable. That's all. And oh, and pictures, please. You want to have normally three pictures. One is head and shoulders. Uh, again, you should be wearing what you feel most relaxed and comfortable with. Don't try to look too sexy if you're a man. The hell with the gold chains and three open buttons. Don't do that. It's just too overt. If you're a woman, we don't need to see a lot of cleavage. Maybe none. Maybe a touch. Um, that's all you need to do. Uh, and, and another picture that's a, a full body shot wearing something you'd wear perhaps at work. And then another uh, full body shot where you are doing your maybe your favorite recreation, that particularly one you might like to do with that person. If you like to go out in the town, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a dressy dress. If you're a hiker, it's your clothing you'd wear for hiking. If you're a dancer, it's what you'd wear for dancing, whatever it is. Now I want to turn to the second most likely way to meet people, romantic partner, which is getting set up. When you're getting set up by your friends, your friends know you, and they're usually not going to set you up with somebody they think is totally wrong or is, or is just a person who is not appropriate for a relationship. Um, but again, be clear about what your non-negotiables are and be systematic. Send an email or a phone call or whatever to maybe your five or 10 people who most care about you and know people saying what you're looking for. So in other words, I'll, again, I'll use myself as an example. If I were single, I would say something like, as you know, I'm a hard worker. I like to think of myself as pretty intelligent and I value kindness, really important. And what I'm looking for in a woman is uh, she doesn't need to be a size two, but I'm, you know, I just being very overweight does not turn me on. I like, uh, I like her to be intelligent. I like her to be, she doesn't need to be rich, but she needs to be stably employed, doing some interesting ethical work. Uh, and I don't mind her being a few years older than me. That's okay. Um, I don't think I'd want somebody much younger than me. Uh, might you know somebody uh, who you think I should meet? There's just enough specificity about yourself, 
and the other person to trigger in the other person's mind somebody who they might want to set you up with. So that's that's number two. Now, um, let's say now I want to talk a little bit about if you're in a relationship and you're trying to see whether you should get more serious, even think about marriage, living together, whatever. Um, there's, I like to think of something called, a, I like to describe something called a relationship report card. Um, you, nobody's an A in everything, but you certainly, almost anybody deserves at least a B average, if not a higher, on all of the following. Sexual compatibility. That doesn't mean being great at sex. It means that his or her sexual drive and behavior is compatible with yours. If you're somebody who wants and craves sex every day, twice a day, you want a partner who's got it, who, where you're in sync. If you're somebody who's more of the once a week crowd or the once a month crowd, <clears throat> or even asexual, you know, you want to, you want to rate the, rate the, the, the compatibility, A, B, C, D, or F. Then, of course, there's the out-of-bed compatibility. This is about how well you enjoy talking with each other, um, doing things with each other. Do you feel good being with the person when you're out on, uh, introducing them to your friends or at a party? Do you feel good about them? Rate that, that A, B, C, D, or F. Third is, indeed, a lack of a fatal flaw. Generally, if somebody is suffering from a major illness, physical or mental, um, or is a gambling addict, or is abusive verbally or physically, um, those kind of things are, uh, you know, you know. There's always exceptions, especially if you you yourself are subject to those kind of problems. Um, spendaholics, gambleholics, all the rest of it. Um, you want to rate that person on the scale from A to F uh, as well. Then there is. Um, uh, I think the, the other real big one is just this wild card. There is a love thing. There's a feeling thing. I know that I feel great just whenever I hear my wife calling me, even though we've been together 46 years, I'm, there's a little excitement in my, I feel excitement that she's calling. Or if we're even in the same room with each other, even if we're in parallel play, I'm, I'm on the computer and she's reading, it feels good to be with her. So that is the wild card, ineffable thing called love. Very hard to describe, but there needs to be that and rate that A, B, C, D, or F. So that report card is a particularly useful tool. Um, you're listening to How to Do Life. I am Marty Nemco. You're listening to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. You can email Dr. Marty Nemco with your comments and questions at mnemko at comcast.net. Or for his articles and books, visit martynemko.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-N-E-M-K-O.com. Now back to How to Do Life. Now I want to talk about marriage. Um, in some ways, it's a miracle that the institution of marriage has survived as long as it has. Um, to think that in today's era that people are going to, you know, say, until death do us part, especially in an era where women have more economic viability than they have had in the past, um, and there is so much tension between the sexes, and the legal entanglements seem to be ever more onerous, that the institution of marriage seems obsolete. And yet still a large percentage of people, although a declining percentage of people, still aspire to marriage, if only for the kids, although there certainly are many single parents 
who have kids and there isn't the stigma associated with it that were when I was growing up. Um, should you marry? And this is just a personal opinion. I think that in most cases, the answer is no. There's no reason you can't live together, have a monogamous relationship if you want, or however you choose to define your romantic, long-term, stable relationship. But marriage is really only right if you're damn sure you say, you know, this is the woman or man who I want to proclaim to the world that at least I intend to be with for the rest of my life. There is something emotional that feels almost otherworldly, supernatural, cosmic about proclaiming to each other and to the, your family and your friends that we are going to try to make this thing work in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer till death do us part. Um, what I will say is it, it does sadden me that sometimes people who can't begin to afford it spend so much money on their special day because they want to create the fantasy. So they might spend fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars on that one day, which could so much make their life easier in terms of housing, month-to-month -month expenses. Um, you know, for me, the, 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 and this is my bias, but I share it with you, the wise thing to do is to have a simple wedding, usually in an outdoor beautiful place, especially if you live in California, where we are, or in a, in a temperate climate, on a beach, in a forest, on top of a hill or a mountain or whatever. Those seem to be purer, more holy, if you will, even in a secular sense, than in a, uh, in a reception hall, which almost feels in some ways like a house of prostitution, where, you know, one Saturday afternoon, there's one in there, and then they leave, and then another one comes in Saturday night, another one Sunday. There's something that doesn't feel as romantic about a wedding ceremony and a wedding reception uh, in some kind of a, you know, I mean, if you're a religious person, of course, you'll want to do it in a church, a synagogue, a mosque, whatever. But having a reception in a place that is nature and beautiful is not only feel more authentic, but it costs you nothing. There are many municipalities that enable you to rent uh, the space for a wedding for little or little or no money. Um, so that's, I think that's all I want to say about, about weddings. Um, now let's talk about problems in relationships. Of course, every relationship has problems. Um, and I don't know if, you know, in the space of this radio program, how much I can be of value, but let's talk about the most common problems. There's it's sex and money and fights about children uh, and work. Yeah, which is related to the money thing. So let's talk about sex. As I said, it was the first thing I talked about when we talked about that relationship report card. It is really hard to, um, to remedy incompatible sex drives. In the old days, it used to be that it was more remediable because if someone, one person had a low sex drive, it was very often because of some religious strictures. Well, that's far less often the case. Very few religions are very restrictive about sexual pleasure. Um, or it could be, you know, guilt that the parent invoked, you know, about sex. That's, that's, we live in a very, since the 60s, we've lived in a much more sexually permissive society. So if somebody's got a low sex drive, it's usually not remediable, but, you know, like if it was caused by a parent or church. Uh, it's usually a physiological thing. Um, so I normally recommend 
after some effort, attempt to communicate, let's say sometimes it really is a technique issue. You know, it's sharing with your partner what you like and what you don't like. That's perfectly great to do, not just perfectly okay. It's the right thing to do, whether it be verbally or tactily, showing what you like and don't like. But after a reasonable amount of that, if there still remains a major difference in sex drive, um, then you neither you probably have to either accept it or decide that if you have a very high sex drive and that's really very important to you. I'm not a big fan of cheating. Um, it does happen. Many marriages survive, but it often takes a big toll. So you have to make that decision. If, if you are one of these high sex drive people with a person who turns out to have a low sex drive or you know, the sex was great in the beginning, and then as so often is the case, after, you know, a certain amount of time, it dissipates, then you have to make the big decision. Do you cheat? Do you have an open marriage? Do you break up? Uh, there is an old saying that says, uh, if you put a penny into a jar, every time you have sex into a piggy bank or a jar, every time before you get married, and then you take a penny out, every time you have sex afterwards, you will never empty the jar. It's kind of a sad state of affairs, but there there is some truth to it. Let's talk about money. Um, uh, couples fight all the time about money, and actually the most, uh, certainly a common thing that couples fight about money is in, uh, in earnings and in spending, both. Those are the two things. So in earning, very often, especially before a marriage, uh, or before living together, both parties are working and contributing income, both members of both pairs in the couple. But then at some point, um, one partner says, I really want to stay home, whether it be for, for the kids or they just hate their job or whatever. And now all the burden or most of the burden uh, of income is on one of the partners. And that is a tremendous crushing burden because there are very few jobs that pay well enough for one person to support both of you and, and the kids. And by the way, uh, speaking of kids, there's a rich literature that says that kids turn out just fine with working parents, but when both parents are working. Quality time is what matters. Peers are what matters. Genetics are what matters. A reasonable school is what matters. But whether mom and dad, or two dads or two moms, whatever, uh, are both working, that is not shortchanging your child as long as there's reasonable quality and you don't have to be perfectly consistent, nobody is, but reasonable consistency, you don't hit your kid, you reason with him more than you, you know, than say, because I told you so. Um, there, you know, with both people working, it takes huge stress off both people. You're able to live a more comfortable lifestyle without worrying so much about every dollar you're spending and it avoids a major fight. Uh, I found, to be really honest, when people, when one person is the primary bedwinner and he's, he or she is stressed, overstressed by all the financial burden and asks the spouse to, to contribute more income, the typical response is passive aggressive. They'll say, I, I can't, it's better for the kid. They'll say, I tried, or I have no skills, or I lost my, my network, or, or I don't want that job, or that job is too bad. They find a million excuses to not do it. So after a brief effort, again, I think the answer is either acceptance or decide you just can't deal with, with having to take all the burden yourself. And 
the, uh, the other side of the money argument is spending. And this may be a little more ameliorable, uh, especially if the, your partner is not bringing in much money but is, likes to spend a lot. That, again, it adds more to the crushing, stressful uh, weight on the, on, the, on the income earner's shoulders. It is really critical, you know, it doesn't go away. This is one of those problems that tends to metastasize, uh, the spendaholic tendency. It's, uh, you know, it's, I call it the hedonic treadmill. You, you know, the person has an emotional hole or feels the way to fill their emotional hole, or it's, maybe it's just the American capitalist way that uh, you buy, try to buy your way to contentment. But what typically happens is you get on the hedonic treadmill, which is you buy something, a new, you know, what I'm just gonna say, a new piece of clothing, um, and you feel good for a little while, but then that quickly dissipates and you need to find buy something else, usually something bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, your MasterCard bill is, is, makes you gulp. And that can indeed cause incredible stress between, uh, uh, between a, in a couple. You've got to really talk honestly about this. And candidly in terms of, notice I'm using feeling words. You know, I'd be, I'll role play here. So if my, if my romantic partner was uh, a big spender, especially if he or she was not contributing uh, significant income, I would say, and I'll use a gender neutral name just because I, you know, I live in the Bay Area, we're so conditioned to be very uh, not uh, heterocentric. So I'll say, Chris, Chris, um, can we sit down? I'm, I'm a little worried and I'm, uh, I hope we can work this out. I'm feeling under great stress to, you know, I'm in the marketing department at the, at the company or the fundraising department of the nonprofit and, you know, um, making a reasonable living, but I'm barely keeping my head above water and I'm worried about our having to lose the house and we're, we're barely making our mortgage payments. And I just, every month I look at the credit card bills and I see so much spent on jewelry, eating out, uh, you know, you wanted a Beamer and you got a Beamer and our monthly payments on the Beamer. I'm drowning in the stress and fear. Um, I'm wondering what we're going to do about it. So, you know, using those, those emotional words can often be uh, a very helpful way to deal with money. Um, another area that parents fight a lot about is kids. Sometimes the one parent is far more permissive and the other is stricter. And again, there's no magic pills, but I really have to, you know, I want to share what I really do believe is best, which is you've got to get on the same page. And in the end, moderation is probably right. If, you know, you are, uh, you are of the spare the rod and spoil the child school, and your partner is from the, you know, uh, kickback, you know, let him explore, everything is cool, it'll be all right, it's all genetic. Um, it really is helpful if you can uh, have a meeting of the minds and agree on compromise about certain things like, you know, where are you going to be firm and not? Like if a kid is, you know, some kids throw temper tantrums and they get on the floor and they say, mommy, 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 you know, agree on how you're going to respond. Best practice is normally to say that's not going to get you anywhere and then to ignore it. But you both have to be on the same page. If one of you gives in and hugs the child, it's all for naught. Uh, same is true about uh, coming to the dinner table, you know, agree that perhaps, you know, see if you can agree that, okay, 
um, you're going to get one warning, and we get two. You only have two minutes to you know finish your video game or whatever it is you're doing, and then it's dinner time. And then when the kid doesn't come in, then he or she doesn't get dinner with the family. He's got to eat in his own room or whatever. But get on the same page on all the critical incidents of parenting. You know about homework. How rigid are you going to be around homework? All of those things are critical about drugs. You know what is going to be your position about drugs in the preventive talks as well as dealing with there's a problem. Sex talk. Really, you without the kid there, the two of you need to be a united front or there's going to be all kinds of problems. In any case, and I, oh, I didn't have time to talk about the solo option. I'll simply say many people, increasing numbers, are finding that the freedoms of being alone, solo, with occasional dating or whatever, or platonic friends, ends up being a better option than the endless compromises that end up having to be made in a couple. In any event, um, that, those are my thoughts on relationships. And as I like to end every edition of How to Do Life, I want to remind you that we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. I'm Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Marty Nemco, his email address is m-n-e-m-k-o at comcast.net. How to Do Life is produced by Marty Nemco. Post-production, Mel Baker. Music from the Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.